As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, June 2nd. I'm Robert Mays. Really excited about today's show. A lot of teams in the NFL right now, you could throw out a few of them. Atlanta, the Giants, I think, count for this. The Bears certainly do. They're rebuilding. The Lions are in the second year of their rebuild. So I want to take a step back as the calendar moves to June and we truly get to the dead time. We get, so we've got some OTA news, but for the most part, we're in the doldrums of the NFL offseason. And I wanted to step back and talk about how you rebuild in the NFL, what we can learn from some recent success stories for other teams that have rebuilt and really just hit the ground and been successful. I want to bring on a couple of our old friends to help me do this. Joining me today, very excited, my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, bud? Doing very well. I hope you had a good Memorial Day. Thank you uh, for sending me unexpected wrestling video from you on your vacation well i uh, went to lucha libre in Mexico a lucha City. libre match yeah. out of nowhere was not expecting that so i hope you had fun at that i also went to a wrestling pay-per-view on sunday AEW, which was fantastic i so think yours is probably a little higher quality than mine than the lucha <laughs> libre show pretty, i went to in mexico <laughs> city i don't know i don't know tomato tomato but yeah i know uh i'm glad we both got our, our squared circle in for this past week on our quote-unquote vacation well my fiance was like is it supposed to be this funny she was very confused about how self-aware it was and just how silly it was. I was like, yeah, Lucha. no, they, they understand what's going on here. Yes, like, yes. There, there's a, a of level meta. of winkiness. Yes. A lot so of fourth wall breaking in, in we wrestling. We thoroughly enjoyed that. It was <laughs> awesome. mixed in some Lucha Libre with all of the tacos that I ate over the last nine days. Also joining us today, someone who I love having these conversations with because he always makes me think about 10 things I wouldn't have otherwise and gives some perspective that is sorely missing from a lot of the chats we have on this show. Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. Did you know that I once saw Hulk Hogan wrestle Big John Studd? Oh. Uh, at the <laughs> Memorial Auditorium in Sacramento, California as a teenager. Uh, That's I can, awesome. I have to go back a ways, but I do have some wrestling history. So I'm glad I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it was I sent Nate a picture of the, just a very, very large man just sitting on the corner, like <laughs> sitting on the little barrier. And that's how it was. It was very interactive <laughs> at certain points. I, Nate, can you explain this to me? Do you know like the format for Lucha Libre, like how it's supposed to go? There are rounds. 
which oh. is, is was interesting. Because they do know. two out of three falls, right? I, yeah. Maybe that was it. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on with the format. <laughs> That was yeah. the only thing I was confused about. I was like, I have no idea what's happening right Lucha, now. Lucha, their style is really fun because it's very flippy and very like, athletic yeah, yeah, of course. and more gymnastic well, I remember style. like Rey Mysterio yeah. and the Guerreros yeah, yeah. and things Eddie like that. That's that. my knowledge of Lucha Libre for and, the most part. But the like other like two changes is like you said, I think it's two out of three falls where it's two out of three every match. And then the other one is like an attack team match or a trios match is that they, they don't have to tag in. Like, so if someone gets tossed out, the other guy can run in. Yeah, there was no tagging. Without, yeah, there was so zero it's tagging. just it's just action, 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 action. Like everything is fast paced. So yeah, that make that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that was a, a plunge into cold water for you. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> something else for me. And think about Casey. I mean, she was even on a whole oh, different level. So yeah. I'm hoping that we get a similar vibe with this show. Yeah. Just the action, action, action. Lots of flipping. Yeah. As we do a little three man weave here about this subject, which is one that I absolutely love chatting about. I think there's so much that we can dig into. So what I wanted to do is I want to just kind of go through maybe three or four takeaways, lessons, however you want to frame that. We do it a lot of lessons on the show, as Barnwell has pointed out. So we call them lessons, <laughs> we call them something else. But a few each, just about what, kind of some through lines you found when you went back and watched and looked at some of these teams that have rebuilt successfully. So, Mike, I want to start with you. When you were going back through some of these recent successes, what's the first thing that jumped out to you that you feel like is kind of a connecting point between all yeah. of these teams? So the teams I singled out were Buffalo, the, the current one, uh, the Rams when McVay came in, Seattle when Pete Carroll came in, and Kansas City when Andy Reid came in. And for the most part... It's the exact same teams that I have, yeah, which yeah. is like, it's so, so funny that, that those are the ones you ended on. Because I gave no parameters for what a rebuild is when yeah. I told you guys and this. Usually kind you of just let you show, guys run. Usually you come on the show and Maze has like 75,000 word G-Doc with uh, <laughs> yep. footnotes. It looks like it's more impressive than any term paper I ever put in. <laughs> I, in I have one for me, by the way. I didn't come into like, this with no prep. You know, and he's like, yeah, can you be on the show? And I'm like, shoot, give me seven days to prep for this. Thing yeah, because we're going to really go into the nitty gritty and he's going to be pulling stuff out and I'm going to I got to be ready. So I'm glad that we winged it and we actually came up with the same ones. And uh, the first thing I noticed was for the most part, they hired the head coach first, made him the focus and then found a GM who fit well with him, knows how to defer uh, right. And, and it is, it is, the coach is kind of the face of this thing and you need somebody to work well with that guy, kind of the opposite of the old traditional model, which is, Hey, we have our GM and he's going to hire the head coach. And if yeah. that coach doesn't win, we're going to fire him and hire another head coach. So that's something I noticed right off the bat. I also, I didn't, that wasn't one of mine, but that's true for a lot of these. And did you mention San Francisco as one of yours? Uh, I didn't list I them. I didn't, but we could have, but it's similar. Sa yeah. Same kind of deal. Same deal. So they found one, Lynch to work with them. One that I had that it wasn't necessarily this, but I think a lot of these teams have that play-calling offensive head coach who's kind of the centerpiece focal point of this. Pete is obviously not that. He's, like you said, he kind of oversees everything. But McVay, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, is I kind of included the Niners in mine. That focal point and just kind of that driving force behind everything along with the personnel control I think has been important in a lot of these success stories. So Nate, why do you think that is? Why do you think that having that head coach who's kind of at the center of all of this as someone who's had to watch pretty closely the dynamics between a front office and a head coach and what that interplay is like, why do you think that has been a consistent point with all these? Uh, consistent is what word I was going to use is consistent vision. 
it's a vision of our offensive philosophy. Maybe they have, if it's an offensive coach, maybe they do have a preference of what they want to see on defense. Maybe it's a certain style of player that they want to get. Uh, you brought the new 49ers under Shanahan and, and Lynch, and right away you see there's an emphasis on speed, uh, especially at the running back position. You know, they had their fingerprints on certain types of guys. The Rams, when McVay got there, all of a sudden they're getting, they've signed Robert Woods. That was one of the first signings they did was to bring yeah. him from Buffalo. Okay, and then all of a sudden they signed a Cooper Cup. So there's a certain style of receiver they went to, uh, a guy that can block more because they were going to be so run heavy out of three wide receivers. Uh, another one was the other 49ers I was going to bring up was when Harbaugh got there um, from Mike Singletary. That was another just a quick, that was almost like a, I don't know, I won't say breath of fresh air, but a, a breath of some type of air when Harbaugh got, <laughs> they got there. But Valky was still there. Um, beforehand, Trent Balky, but Harbaugh kind of had his imprint on what that offense would be more at you run game, you know, maybe uh, some some play action off of that. So you just see that imprint and it's more of like a philosophical thing. And it's easier when it's coming from the top as opposed to, say, an offensive coordinator fighting with the new head coach going, I want to do this. And the defensive head coach going, well, well, I prefer you to do this. And if you have the offensive play caller, offensive overseer having a say on personnel, then it's easier to like implement that vision. So that's that's the kind of other way I, I uh, maybe I've seen that, especially like when Andy Reid came to the Chiefs. I mean, right away you can just see, oh, that's an Andy Reid offense. <laughs> Makes sense that they went and got Alex yep. Smith of what, how they want to operate. So it made sense of what they go after personnel wise as well. Mike, which of those examples to you kind of crystallizes why that's effective? Which do you which really jumps out to you? It's like this is if I were kind of building this thing, this is the one I would use as a model. If we think that that is a pillar of why this works. Wow. That that aspect of the pillar, I think, comes through with, with Shannon, Hannah, McVeigh because it is so specific to the offenses, uh, the, those two. I don't think that's a necessarily has to be this, uh, as that strong of a component. Um, although, shoot, Pete Carroll came in, I think his strengths are a little different in terms of just global leadership of the program, but they did put in a defense that was, you know, in his vision. So um, I think of those offenses, though, probably – being the ones where it's most pronounced, but I don't think it's necessarily has to be exactly that way. Nate, what's your first one? Oh, my first one. Well, that it's funny that we all came to sum up because I, my first point of how I was going to present that was it's all about the head coach. And my next one is it's all about the quarterback. And I don't think anything's ever going to change, whether you're building a team or rebuilding a team, you have to nail the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, sorry. Mike, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. But, but yeah, just any, Anytime, any instance, you either have to be in a position to take one early if you are truly just nuking your team or be in a position to grab one and build up the team around them. And I'll bring up kind of maybe a team that's in the influx of rebuilding or reloading, and that's the Eagles. And maybe it's their, hey, we can see what Jalen Hurts is. They're playing with house's money with that. They want to move on from them next year. Let's have the assets available and the team around it that whatever quarterback yeah. that we want to move on to, let's be in a position to take advantage of that. And I think yeah. no matter what, it's going to be all about the quarterback. See, and what's what I, I have that uh, I have that too. find a quarterback, but don't rush it. I think yeah. almost yeah. all of these yes. teams played good defense first, almost yes. all of them, except for yes. the Rams. They they everyone wants that thing solved, right? Everybody yeah. wants to say we did it. We got yep. our guy. But the but, Rams were they that they took over. He was the number one pick the year before. Yes, right. He was the number one pick the year before. Exactly. So uh, I, when you think of these teams, you know, I went through and looked at it. I, I look at this. So Buffalo's first two years of McDermott, they were thirty first in offensive EPA, seventh in defense. 
Uh, Seattle, we all know what they were, right? I mean, they they clearly didn't even have Russell Wilson yet. I mean, yeah. they were they were trending towards that. Kansas City, the first two years, fifth on defense, fourteenth on offense, right? They were never bad, um, which actually plays into another one of my things that I noticed, which I don't know there's a pillar, but when you get that coach right, none of these teams were absolute crap early. They were competitive early, so yeah. you know if you have your if you have a coach who can drive success, I think most of the time. They almost never suck. Look at these guys. They come in. They're, they're clawing. Pete Carroll's got Tavares Jackson, whoever. They're 7-9, and nine, right? McDermott comes in. They weren't horrible. Now, some of that is because you play good defense. If you play good defense, you're going to be at least have a chance to be competitive. The no, defense thing is something I also noticed that they had yeah. – not traditional isn't the way I'd put it, but not how you draw it up the way that they found success early on this defense and kind of taking care of the ball aspect to it. You know, that all sounds good with coach speak, but that's not how we would do it if we were creating it in a vacuum. But all of these teams found success early that way. I had a quarterback one and it's similar. The superstar quarterback doesn't need to come right away, but you need the right quarterback right away. That's really important with this. Just and, and by the right quarterback, I just mean somebody who's going to keep you competitive. And Mitch alluded to this earlier this week on our show. Just be a guy that when he walks into the huddle, everyone else knows it's not a fucking joke. Yeah. Like find they, your, they know find this, your yeah, Alex Smith. That's find your Alex, Alex Smith, Smith is a really good yes. example. So yes. when the, and so Alex Smith got his contract after the first year with the Chiefs. The Chiefs went eleven and five in twenty thirteen. The year after Andy Reid, the first year Andy Reid was there. They were awful <laughs> the two years before he got there. When they traded a second round pick for Alex Smith, he was making nine million bucks that year. He was on the last year of his deal with the Niners. He had the 20th biggest cap hit among quarterbacks in the NFL that first season. He got the contract the year after that's paid him a reasonable amount and they get the 10th highest average annual salary among quarterbacks after getting that deal. But when they traded for him, he was just a stopgap guy. Like that's what he was supposed to be. And he gave them instant credibility and instant competency at that position. Another example of that, that team didn't even need to pay as much for it, but I think a semi-successful rebuild we've seen over the last couple of years, the Dolphins going to get Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think is a real part of them being competitive in the second year under Flores and winning 10 games. I think it was an important piece in them saying, all right, we have a real guy who understands He's been around. He's going to be a factor for the young players on our team. Like That's a thoughtful, low-risk signing at that position. Jimmy Garoppolo it was not a superstar quarterback that the Niners went out and got, but they traded a second-round pick for him. And if you look at the way they structured that deal, even though they did give him a big extension, it was $37 million in year one. And then after that, it averaged $22 million over the next few years, which is middle-of-the-road quarterback money. But that middle-of-the-road quarterback was enough. It was quarterback competency and allowed them to be successful before they eventually went and got their guy. And I think having that guy and not, and the Bills are another really good example of not doing it right away. The Bills traded the pick that became Patrick Mahomes in the first year of Brandon Bede's tenure and with Sean McDermott. They did not pick a quarterback right away. They rolled with Tyrod Taylor. They were fine. And then they went to get Josh Allen in their second season. So I think not trying to make a panic move at that position, but also understanding you can't let, just let it flail in the wind and finding the balance between those two, Nate, I feel like is a really important piece of this. Yeah, they. it's finding, I mean, just look at the struggles of the rookie class last year for the quarterbacks. It's having some, I'm just going to go on the flip side, is having stuff around them, structure around them. You bring up the first part with defense, but also like 
having offensive line and or some semblance of weapons around these guys. Because we want to say we, we want everyone to be Justin Herbert in their first year starting. I mean, we, we've, we've been spoiled with that first year. Oh, wow. Look at this guy just taking it by storm and just taking over on these games. But I think that we forget that just getting that young quarterback isn't just going to make it instantly better. And I know what you guys are saying about having competency at the quarterback position. But I would say on the flip side, too, is having competency around a young quarterback. Oh, yeah. Um, Matt Ryan jumping in in 2008, you know, you know, the mess that the Falcons were. But he had a good old line in front of him. He had Roddy White. You know, he had uh, I don't think they had Tony Gonzalez yet. They they have Tony. No, that was later. That that, That that was 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 a couple. They got Michael Turner that first year. Oh, yeah. They they also drafted Sam Baker in the first round the same year. They That was the other first round pick that they took. Yes. But they have competency around them. And then you see like. You see Trevor Lawrence with offensive line woes, no weapons. Zach Wilson, offensive line woes, banged up weapons. The Bears with Justin Fields. So it's it's a, I don't know if it's chicken and the egg, but it's a balance of everything. You can't just throw these guys in the deep end and say, figure it out. These guys aren't built for that. It's so hard to play quarterback. And on the flip side, it's also, you just have to have that competency around them. I'm not going to use the Bengals. I'm going to talk about the Bengals a couple different times in this. I'm not going to use them as a model for how to do this because I think that being really bad and getting a number one overall pick in a season where you have a transcendent quarterback prospect yeah. is not a replicable model for people. No. So there's not a lot of lessons to be learned from what the Bengals have done. There are a couple. I'm not trying to be dismissive. We call that the Colts and luck. It's like the Colts. I was just going to say yes. we yeah, call hey, that yes. Good luck. We call that the Grixon. That's yes. what I was going to say. <laughs> Do All that right. if you can. We recommend that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. Hey, if you can time it where you're really bad, and yeah. you, for some reason, Joe Burrow wasn't even a person when the yeah. Bengals started getting really bad in 2019. The, so the, the Dolphins were tanking. Everyone thought it was for Tua. Like yes. Tua was the prize yes. originally, and it turned out no, no, <laughs> no, he wasn't the prize. Yeah. And yeah, no, I mean that makes so much sense. It, it's, it, but that's, but also. Wait, we thought that the, that's what the Jaguars did. Oh, they're tanking in the right year. They got Trevor Lawrence, this next generational guy. And then you see, oh, man, but, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really but, hard. But like you're you're building your culture early with this new coach. And that's why that competency of that quarterback initially, maybe yep. like we mentioned Seattle. Well, they kept Hasselbeck for a year. He's a yeah. good pro quarterback. Yeah. You know, he's going to do He's going to represent the coach well to the team and all. And of that's that. what the Falcons did with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. And yeah, exactly. I, I think that there are there are negative if you again, we have talked about this in a couple of recent shows, but if you're looking at the purely the value, I think there's value lost with hanging on to that guy at points. There's value lost with what the Lions have done with Jared Goff, but I can understand it as an argument. It's like this guy went to the Super Bowl. He's not great, but he's yeah. been a professional quarterback. We can and if create everybody an, else now. Yes, if yes. you're an offensive player and it's, you can evaluate everyone else, but even from a cultural perspective, if you walk into the building, it's like, all right, that guy can play. I've seen that guy play. Like I've seen that guy win playoff games. I've seen him have big moments. And I think that's important when you're trying to create some legitimacy in your locker room early on, even though if even though you're probably going to overpay for that guy in the way the Lions are right now with golf. That's such an interesting component because I think, you know, in an academic paper that we presented at the Sloan conference, you you would say that's you you wouldn't value that. There's exactly. No, there's no value yeah. on paper for that, but we don't we feel that? Yeah. That means something. <laughs> It does. Credibility. It does. It, that's the that's the human element of it all. I mean, that, that that's why we argued with about golf. I mean, that's a that's a great great example, Robert. Is that also if you're in a especially if you're in a position of rebuilding, and at least you can run a freaking football play. Like it's not <laughs> yes. like you're throw, you're yeah. running out there with. And I, I, no offense to the guy, but like 
there's a big difference when Jimmy G even came in with, we knew that the 49ers were going to take some time when Shanahan and Lynch took over. Okay. But having Jimmy G of competency and then he goes out with an injury and you just like, Oh man, this team is terrible. And Do you, you remember but, what it was like to watch Jimmy G for those five games at the end of the 2017 season. It was like seeing God. Yeah. It yes. was that now how we consider Jimmy G in like the realm of quarterback, like tears at, yeah, we got, Mike, we got Mike on this show. Might as well yeah. bring it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but same. Great. But that's that's what competency does, because at least you get to evaluate everything else. And that's how the Chiefs got to Mahomes is they had Alex Smith. They had Mr. Yes. Average. And then they're like, this is our ceiling with Mr. Average. What else can we do? All right, let's find the gunslinger. And then they they hit on it. You still have to hit on it. <laughs> but they they went through both paths, basically the competent quarterback and then the superstar quarterback. And they found it. Golf has a 31, $31.1 million cap hit this year. That looks crazy. It was 10.6 last year. So when you average those two, it's $20 million. Yeah. That is a livable price for a, a, for a no quarterback that can walk and shoot yeah. gum at the same time exactly, in the Mike. NFL in 2022. <laughs> who, else would they, who else are they paying with that money? It's yes. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, All right, Mike, what's your next one? Um, I noticed these are less well, – while they have strong leadership from the coach – these are less fear-based cultures uh, and more, uh, you know what I mean? Just the, the vibe of these buildings. Like, like, look, Andy Reid is a serious guy who could look yeah. holes through you and he can grab you by the throat. But I think you kind of like him too and you, you, you trust the idea that he's got your best interest at heart, right? Yeah. Th- these weren't people that came in my way or the highway, strong this and that. Right, I mean, That's there's great. a people, yep. there's a people component to these leaders. I, <laughs> I think. think McDermott is an exception to that. Yeah, he's only, he does look I like he's gonna. For, for the most part, I agree with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apologies, Sean. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean McDermott's serious, but I don't think he's like. A, no, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Yeah, I just don't yeah. think he's the kind of touchy feely guy that a lot of these other ones are. No, uh, yeah, but I don't. Th- but I think that Andy Reid can sell that in a press conference, but it isn't either. I mean, I was around his mentor, Mike Holmgren, nicest guy. But he could light you a freaking new one when he needed to, you know. And I, I would think that Andy Reid could do that when he needs to. And Pete Carroll wouldn't do that. But I bet you Sean McVay probably could when he needs to. Right? These guys can do it when they need to, but that's not what they're about. Yeah. 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 I that's a. I, I had not thought like about that. that one just as like a culture setter type of argument, but that's totally right. I also think they're, I mean, they're younger guys or they have a younger spirit, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pete Carroll, even if he took over that job when he was – what was he? Sixty-two when he took know. over that maybe job? Was six, maybe 60, twelve years ago. He's seventy now. He's seventy now. Is that right? Yeah, seventy, seventy-one. I think. Yeah, but yeah, yeah so but he, he was 60-ish. sixty. He was probably <laughs> yeah. sixty, but he didn't feel sixty. No. And I think that's Shoot, an the guy looks part like he's fifty-five now. I know. It's if wild. He, did, he, he looks better than those, me. If he changed those hair monarchs, he'd look forty-five. The hair, mon- <laughs> the hair monarchs had ten years, but otherwise, I mean, geez, this guy's unfair. Oh, I know. But that was also that was almost like, as they say, a subtweet about the. The Patriots tree, <laughs> like just, uh, I mean, but how many of those guys would go into a place and they just want to be little bills and they go in yeah. and, and it's like uh, players look at them and go, no, <laughs> like we're not doing that. Like that you it, like, that's what the, the, the gift of Belichick or what he has been able to do is he can coach that way because he earned that respect yeah. to coach that way. A lot of these guys, yes, they are good assistants, but becoming a head coach, uh, as we all know, is just a totally different hat you have to wear. So I think that's just tying what Mike said. That that's such a great point that these guys go in and go, well, this is my culture, and I'm not going to come in and act like I have all the answers, even if like most of my answers I do think are right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw yeah. my next one out because I think it also is culture based. 
you look at some of these successes over the last five, 10 years, and these are tied together to me. Don't be afraid of the mid-tier free agents and find the mid-tier free agents that can be culture setters for you. Look at some of these teams and the guys that have been found for five, seven million bucks a year and weren't just one-year wonders for those teams, but became pillars, not only on the field, but for how we identify those teams. Micah Hyde is one of those guys, Mm -hmm. Jordan Poyer. And they weren't afraid to go get those guys in year one. And that's interesting to me, the timeline on that and how you sequence it, where you think, oh, what are you, where are you going? I mean, you're going to tear this thing down. You're going to go get this guy in year one. But they weren't afraid to go get those two guys who became centerpieces of who they wanted to be defensively in the first year at that price tag. Robert Woods and Andrew Whitworth were in year one with the Rams and the guys that became complete embodiments of who that franchise wanted to be and who that offense wanted to be. The Bengals have done that a couple different times on defense recently. Like Chidobi, Wuzier, and Von Bell over the last couple of years have been important for, I think, who that defense is, just pros, pros, guys that are gotten in that little band that I love of like three to five and a half percent of the salary cap. There are success stories in that range across teams when it comes to free agency, but I think finding the guys, the right guys in that range to kind of set the culture early on can be really important. You're not going to build this thing through the draft if you're rebuilding. You're too bad. Yeah. If you're if you're starting from zero, there's no way you're going to be able to be a contender in two or three years solely by drafting players. It's just never going to happen because if you're starting at such a low point. So I think finding the right guys not only to contribute for you, but also shape what that culture is supposed to be. That's been really important in my mind for a lot of these teams recently. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sorry, real quick, Mike, is that uh, I, I think there's a kind of like a term that like a lot of execs maybe use or personnel guys will use is that I wouldn't say good enough to get you beat is the right term we're trying to use, but someone that, oh, we're always looking for an upgrade at this guy or yeah. from this guy. When you're starting though, when you're starting ground zero, that's fine. That you know what baseline is for that position, whether it be a receiver, your third receiver, your starting wide tight end, your starting Mike linebacker, you start just some random hodgepodge guys, the one to two to three year deal guys, the cheapies, like you mentioned, the middle class guys. But yes, if you're a contender, you're going, oh man, I wish we had maybe more of a like a playmaker at that position. But when you're just botting me out, when you're just at ground zero, it's fine to have average to above average starters because it's just like, okay. Now we can find good. And if we can't find good at that position, we're finding good at other positions. So that will become less of you want what what was our second best starter is now our eighth best starter on defense or something of that sort. You're just shifting where they're they're going in the tier of your defense or your offense. So, no, I think that's a great point. Just getting competency. We talked about at quarterback, but I think just at all positions. Nate, what's your next one? Oh, man, I kind of have. A twofer here. Uh, the my other one was you know need a supporting cast to keep the quarterback's head above water. That was <laughs> so. This is tying in kind of what you guys said before. But my other one is those picks have to become something at some point. If you are yeah. going through, hey, we got build up assets, build build up all these assets. They have to become something at some point. And what I mean by that is, it's hard to tank on purpose. So <laughs> we've seen, like I already mentioned with the Dolphins and going, Tua was originally the prize. That year, We there's jokes about them being the tank commander and they're doing this for the tank. They're trading everyone. They're blowing everything up. They the fish up tank. With, yeah, the fish tank. They ended up with pick number five. They didn't even end up with the top pick. 
It's so, and this is, there's no lottery in the NFL. <laughs> it's not like they got unlucky with that. It's just really hard to get that number one pick. And I guess in a good way, I guess that's a good way to put it. But, and still when they had those three first round picks that one year, when they were like truly, truly tanking, including Tua, they really went over three on those three first rounders. Yep. It, it, one point, I'll, I'll call two and a half hit. But those other two picks that they had, Austin Jackson and Noah. I'm Ibanagami, he hasn't played. Yeah, hasn't played. 0 for 3 on those. Those are all coin flips. But on the flip side, if you look at like what the Eagles have done, I, I have really liked what the Eagles have done with this, is they had all those assets, but how they're using them. And we've talked about with this, the draft and now with the free agency with them. They moved up for Devontae Smith after they moved back. Then they moved up for Jordan Davis. You know, they're they're kind of moving. They move those assets around to find the guys they want while also keeping assets down the road for if they do want to make a move for a quarterback. And they so, trade a first-round pick for A.J. Brown. Yeah, yes, you trade, yes, yes. You're trading for A.J. Brown. That's another yeah, great example, duh. But, uh, but that is why those have to become something because it seems that if you just stand pat and go, yep, we got three first-rounders, it's they're all coin flips. What if you lose three coin flips? Like, what if you, you know, what if they go over three? Then you're stuck with these guys. Those are first rounders. You're playing them. So now your rebuild just gets even harder because you have to play those guys. I mean, Raiders are another one. They had the three first round picks. They weren't really rebuilding. They said they're reloading, but they were rebuilding, let's be honest. And they had the three first rounders there, over three there. Uh Josh Jacobs is a great player, but playing running back and has been hurt. So, you know, that's just an example, but just it's you have those have to become something at some point if you want to take a step forward. That's reminds me of the Jets right now where you have this yep. team with all of these resources and they could spend in free agency. And even if we like all of the individual moves that happened and the way they spent that free agent money and the places that they spent it with the lot roster looks like now they have three first round picks this year. If those guys don't hit. I mean, none of this shit really matters. And then the quarterback is obviously in a completely different story and that is also if he doesn't hit it none of this matters even more but those picks eventually have to turn into players you can stockpile all the assets you want as part of a rebuild but hitting on those is hugely important the browns are another good example you look at the sashi browns i mean they had three first round picks in 2017 miles garrett's really good jabil preppers ended up becoming part of the trade for obj and then david njoku wasn't a player until he got 25 million dollars a year or whatever he got last week so uh, not all of those guys have contributed on the level they needed them to and I think that's really important. I mean, Corey Coleman was a first-round pick for them in 2016. I mean, eventually, those guys are going to have to be really good players if you stockpile all those first-round picks for this to all come together. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, Mike, what's your next one here? Could be related to having the the head coach who's empowered, but it seems like they were able to make really targeted personnel moves for veterans when they wanted them. They didn't all work out, but, you know, getting a Stefan Diggs, it's kind of at the right time, the right mm-hmm. fit. 
uh, you know, the Rams have been all, all over that well-documented, but they, whether they're getting a Brandon Cooks or, or somebody else, they're always sort of in uh, that mold. I think for Seattle, we could point to, you know, the Harvin and Jimmy Graham, whether they worked out or not, but they were there for Averill and Bennett, right? They were getting exact, they were getting guys when they needed to get them, right? They needed those two guys to fix their pass rush and they went and got them and they were in the Super Bowl. I think Buffalo should have been in the Super Bowl last year, but they'd gone and gotten Stephon Diggs, right? Um, Kansas City, you could say to some extent with, you know, at least early on with the move for Frank Clark or Tyron Matthew or whatever, they've, they, they made uh, some high profile moves that, that, I think cost money or were, you know, the head coach had the ability to make them work uh, in the scheme, that type of type of thing that were done at the right time. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I have one that was kind of related to that. So I might as well throw it in there is know what you are. And that that's kind of, I, I think tied what Mike's saying right now, know what your windows is the, or like, is it yeah. huge? Yep. And we have, we have a window that we're, Oh, this is our, like the Rams last year, I think is always going to be the example for everybody <laughs> is that like, just, Hey, we're full cranking it. We know we're all in, but talking about a rebuild is maybe not making a splash move, maybe going like, Hey, do we really need this guy? Or it's just understanding, yes, we do. Yes, we do need to set the culture. Yes, we do need a good starter at that position to set the tone for our young guys. So, yeah, I think just kind of kind of related to that is just knowing what you are, knowing if you are, are we early step in the rebuild? Are we competing for a playoff spot? Or are we a true Final Four contender type? Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of related to what you're saying, Mike. It's yep. just, yeah, knowing what you are. Yep. You when mentioned you, this. When you can get over the top, you know, that's yep. what I think. Nate, you mentioned this uh, a little bit when you were talking about the receivers that the Rams went and got. I am so interested in how these rebuilding teams build their pass catching groups because not a lot of these teams, again, the Bengals are an, yeah. an exception. They're the fifth overall pick, they got Jamar Chase. That's great. If you can yeah. do it that way, that's awesome. But yeah. I do think the Bengals are an example of this in another way. You don't have to have that walk off the bus 6'3, 220 prototype number one receiver. How many of those guys are there? three, four. Yeah. I mean, they're like quarterbacks. Yeah. They just don't exist, really. And I remember talking to Brandon Bean about this a couple of years ago when discussing the way they built their receiver court. This was pre-Stephon Diggs. It's before they made the Diggs trade. And he mentioned that there aren't that many true number one receivers. And you don't have to go get a prototypical number one receiver, but it's crucial to assemble your pass-catching group in a thoughtful way, and that can include the way it, they all fit together Yep. and finding uniquely skilled players that are undervalued for one reason or another. Look at some of these examples. The 2014 Chiefs, Travis Kelsey was their number one receiver. Oh yeah, Travis Kelsey was, I mean, that, that team didn't throw a touchdown pass. I was going to say, that, that was, was the year. Didn't throw yeah. a touchdown right. receiver. <laughs> That's right. So they had this wonky-ass offense yep. where Travis Kelsey was their best player, and he was for years. Yep. They, they him, him and Jamal Charles were their best offensive yeah. players for a few years. Until Tyreek came along. Really? And then, until Tyreek came along. Yeah. And even he is a uniquely skilled player yeah. that isn't built in that number one prototypical receiver fashion. The 2017 yeah. Rams sign Robert Woods and draft Cooper Cup in the same year. Those guys aren't prototype number one receivers. Cooper Cup goes in the third round. He's has the, he's slow. He has this skill set that is very specific, but exactly what they needed. Woods is the same way. Todd Gurley in 2018, 64 catches for 788 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, that is a different way to affect the passing game. The 2019 Bills go out and get Cole Beasley and John Brown in the same offseason. Those guys, the way they fit together and what their skill sets are, it are 
disparate, but they complement one another. And I think even though they needed Stefan Diggs to tie that all together, what Cole Beasley and John Brown were in that stage of Josh Allen's development, I don't think can be overstated how important that year was for where the Bills are right now. The Niners are another example of this. The Niners have never had a prototypical number one receiver when Kyle Shanahan's been there. George Kittle was a fifth-round pick the first year those guys got there. They went and got Debo Sammy. Look at their passing game. It doesn't look like a traditional passing game, and the guys catching the ball aren't Julio Jones, but it works. All the pieces are put together in a thoughtful way, and I think that can be important to prop up a young quarterback or just to find some undervalued assets as a way to piece that whole thing together. And I think when you do that, it's really important. For those for the Rams to do that in the first year with Cup and Woods and have Jared Goff be able to use those guys at his disposal, I think is really important. The Bills getting those guys in 2019 when they really need a Josh Allen to take a step, I think that's really important. So just understanding we need this group pretty early, but we don't have to spend a ton to go get that guy, whether it's a first-round pick or the biggest contract in free agency. We can be thoughtful about the amount we spend and how we assemble these pieces together. Yeah, I think if you don't have a number one guy, you need three weapons in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that that's how I've 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 kind of grown to look at it. As tight ends have become more receivery and and split out more. Kelsey is the perfect example of that. I was gonna say find your triplets and, and tie it into the rebuilding, but uh, uh, Troy Aikman's a quarterback, so that doesn't really fine. <laughs> that doesn't really that doesn't really flow with this. So dang it. Uh, but I was gonna bring up, and they weren't ever rebuilding, even if they had a. I mean, it's the Saints, but it's they've never really truly rebuilt, even if they had struggling records in the 2010s. But in 2019, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and Jared Cook were their top three target getters. Yeah, three weapons of some way, shape, or form for the like the, for the quarterback to attack with. And I know that's not a rebuilding team; that's not really part of the exercise. But that is just, I think that's how you have to look at building a receiving core, um, even I, if you don't have that number one de facto guy. It's like NBA stars. I mean, it's it's nice to have a. You know, your big three that each of them could get 20 points at any time rather than maybe having one guy that can score 35 a night. You know, just a, maybe that's not the best analogy, but kind of sort of the same. I totally understand that. I, yeah. I just think that being able to assemble those pieces and again, you look at it like, all right, that makes sense. The puzzle pieces all fit together. Even the, the Seahawks early on, they weren't like a throw the ball around the yard sort of team. But Golden Tate is a weird player. Like yeah. Finding some of those weird players and understanding how to utilize them together I think is a staple and a hallmark of the way that these teams have rebuilt pretty quickly. Doug Baldwin was not somebody that yeah, Doug Baldwin's radar, yeah. very good example. Develop into a great player, you know. Yep. Yep. That yep. Doug Baldwin and Golden Tate are perfect. Like those two guys. Like that's not how you would draw it up, but no. man, it's cool when it all fits together like that. Yeah. yeah. Even Tyler Lockett later was a, you know ended up yep. being somebody. People really considered good. him a returner only. I remember yeah. coming out of Kansas yeah. State, and then yeah, I yeah. mean he's much much more than that. <laughs> All right, Mike, what's your next one? I, I feel like I'm down in the weeds now. The, the things yeah. I would come up with now that could be any team. You know, um, I think I, as I looked at the, the teams that I had singled out, Buffalo, the Rams, Seattle, Kansas City, I think for the most part they dodged early on. They kept continuity with the offensive staff with, with what they were trying to do at quarterback. And I don't know that you can set out to do that because if they get a head coaching job, that's just the way that it is. But I think it was pretty remarkable that Dayball stayed, obviously, yeah. with, with – uh, with McVeigh and Reed, you're, you solve for that because they're the head coaches. But and I think, Shanahan. Even, yep. I think yep. even early on with uh, Daryl Bevel, you know, in in Seattle was part of 
uh, putting together an offense that worked well for the skill set of their of their quarterback, and they didn't have a bunch of change. They did eventually, but not a bunch of change. So um, that may just be a product of whatever they were able to have success-wise, but I did notice that about these teams. I think that's really important, just period. Yeah. But it's I, it has yeah. been a consistent element of these rebuilding teams too. Yeah, yeah that's tying in with culture and everything, yeah. and yep. and yeah, no, that's a great, great point. I, I love these human element ones, Mike. This is this is. Yeah. I mean, it's the ones I would not have come up with. That's it matters why I love so to have much. Mike as part of these conversations. It really does. It matters so much about just uh, like there's so many times when you might want to just take that 76 overall guy on your team because <laughs> the the effect that the the boost that he can give other other players and just I, I think a, a good one maybe for the Bills and I maybe just I had my experience with him with the Raiders John Feliciano going with the Bills not the greatest player in the world. But just yep. having effect on the offensive line culture they were trying to have there with Bobby Johnson and everything, but also helping out with protection calls, like just those day to day things, like that matters. Uh, one of the best, well, the Bills signed another Raider favorite of mine, Andre Holmes. Again, he was like a seventy five overall guy at at best, but a number four receiver who's going to do all the dirty work and can back everybody up. So whoever they add, he's going to teach them. Hey, this is how you have to do it. If you're if you're the Z here, you have to do this. That stuff matters so much, and that, I know we were, or your point was with the coaches, but players, coaches, just keeping those guys year in, year out. You're not going into a new spring ball, new OTAs, and going like, you're the Patriots right now going, oh, my God, who's our offensive play caller right now? Like that stuff matters. Yeah. But you can just go in in February, the season's over, and I'm calling my coach. We're in year three. Hey, let's change what we call that verbiage. Let's change what – hey, we called it this – yeah. I'm acting like I'm the quarterback here, like starting quarterback, which so this I'm I have to act here because this is a, I've never had to do this. So it's it's going and calling, going, I I I made I saw them do this in the playoffs. Let's do that, as opposed to going, it's February 15th. Who's our offensive call or our offensive play caller this year? Oh wow, look, I have to look on look on Twitter to see who you know my team is interviewing. So it just matters having that continuity year after year after year. So you mentioned John Feliciano, Nate, one that I loved with the Bills. The Bills did it to me in the the best way, but a lot of other teams have also done it. You have to embrace churn on the interior of the offensive line. Just take as many little bets as you can as you're figuring out that group. The Bills, over the first couple years of that regime, John Feliciano comes in. They Quentin Spain on a one-year deal. Spencer Long didn't work out, but he was somebody that they signed. Mitch Morse got a big contract, but they just they were cycling through guys at the interior spots. It's like, let's just try to figure this out every year, even if it means spending a little bit of resources. The Niners traded a fifth-round pick for Lake and Tomlinson. Just trying to find like creative, little subtle ways to improve that area of your team. The Rams do it every single year. Whether it's mid-round picks, you know, third, fourth-round picks consistently they spend on guys like that, Brian Allen, David Edwards. They signed John Sullivan that first year. Who That's one of those guys that just culture setter, smart guy, veteran. They paid him like a million bucks in 2017, that first season. But think about all the other guys. Austin Blythoff waivers from the Colts. They traded a fifth-round pick for Austin Corbett. They're just constantly churning that interior group trying to find the right combination, whether it's personalities or just answers. If a guy hits free agency, who's going to replace him? Just constantly trying to figure out and sort through options along the offensive line so you know you have five capable starters that can work together. I think that's a hugely important part of this, just through trial and error. And that the Bills did such a good job of that. It's the point where it probably drove their offensive line coach insane. But I, I do think that it was an effective way to do it. 
Yep. You're trying to get on base with all these other positions so you can hit a home run at quarterback. Yes. <laughs> and he drives yeah. them all home. That's what it is. Get on base with your offensive line, your receivers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're fine. Okay. They're all right. We hit a single. They took a walk. We're fine. Okay. Josh Allen, develop. Knock them home, buddy. <laughs> Everybody scoring. Everybody scoring. I think that's the best way to look at it is just, yeah, hit, hit singles and doubles with other spots and hope you hit a home run at quarterback. Yep. The one exception here. And I don't know if this is causal or a coincidence. Yeah. But if you look at pretty much every single one of these, they got their starting caliber left tackle very quickly. Deion Dawkins was drafted in the second round in 2017 in Buffalo because they traded away Cordy Glenn to make the move up for Josh Allen in the draft. Remember this? Good, this so is a good they, call. This is a good call. I like this. Yeah. So Deion Dawkins Continue. was there the yeah. first year. Andrew Whitworth signed with the Rams in Rams. 2017. Eric Fisher was drafted. It was the first overall pick. He was the right tackle on those, that 2013 Chiefs team that was really good. They franchised Brandon Albert that year to keep him. And then Fisher moved over in the second year and eventually became a pretty solid That's starter. A very solid That's starter. That's a good yes. plan. That's You're what like, smart teams do. <laughs> so that, that is the thing to me. Never be scrambling at that spot. Yeah. Seattle you, took you, Russell Okung with one of their first yes. picks. First year. 2010, yes. the first year. He was a first-round pick. They took Russell Okung. Jonah Williams is not a great player at left tackle for the Bengals. He is solid as can be. And that you just don't have to worry about it. You brought so up Sam at, Baker. Sam that Baker was, an, was another guy another in Atlanta. Yep. Lucian yep. Robert Mays rallying late in the discussion. I it's a know, good one. It's universally accepted by everybody, but not <laughs> thought of by anybody except him. I love this. this I just I, I just I was looking at it and I was like, man, as they churn through these interior guys, for the most part, all of these teams have had a set it and forget it left tackle. It doesn't need to be a superstar. Yeah. doesn't need to be an all-pro player. But as long as you know your guy isn't a turnstile over there, again, I don't know if it's causal, but it has been a yeah. consistent aspect of a lot of these teams. The Niners, Joe Staley was over there, and then they traded for Trent Williams. They have not had to worry about who their left tackle was through this entire process with Kyle Shanahan. So that's one that just kept jumping out to me. I was like, man, these left tackles are all pretty good and like pretty big investments. No, I got one that they all did that they shouldn't do. Don't take a running back early and pay him, right? Uh, we, <laughs> yeah, we, got, we got Kansas City doing it. We got the Rams have done yes. it. We got you don't Seattle's need the cherry on top. You don't need although, the cherry on top. Although, in all seriousness, know who you are. Is Marshawn Lynch one of the great acquisitions, but only cost a fifth-round pick. But I was laughing yeah. at that just thinking of this. But the left tackle's good. That, that yeah. is one that they saw I, found a way to do it. I wanted the Cowboys to work out too for the early 90s, but, but it was Mark, uh, Mark Tunai. Tune. Tune, oh yeah. Tune. He a, yeah, he was there forever. Man. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I know. yeah. God. And we could oh. do a whole show on that offensive line. Oh my god. I know. That yeah. That was Eric one Williams that was one benefit of my uh yeah. my uh during uh, when we didn't know football was going to start in 2020 yeah. was I just watched old 80s and 90s NFL I love games. <laughs> it was so much fun watching those old games. Just like, we should do oh. that as a show one time where we each watched. All right, come back and we'll report on 80s football. You know, anyway. yeah. What'd you see in 1990? I mean, listen, what was, that's what Turner Me and Nate just watching early 2000s players and getting was, to talk about them. Just dudes North talking Tur about old players. North Turner running it. in 1994. Yeah. That was <laughs> that's yeah. the fun stuff. Yeah, Nate. No, do you have any others? No, I, God, that left tackle one is awesome. I mean, that that's one of the things that I laugh about. With they weren't really rebuilding, reloading, I guess. But the Chargers, they did the two hardest things: they hit on a rookie <laughs> rookie quarterback and they hit on a rookie left tackle. Like that is like that's exactly yeah. how you want to build your team. Like everything else yeah. is just a bonus. Yeah. So no, that that's a great great point. I like that one. Mike, do you have any others? 
Nope. You know, I, well, all right. I, I did think about this. This goes in with the adding acquisition, but I think sort of knowing when to add. Does it seem like they add pass rush to try to go over the top? Doesn't it seem like that Buffalo is trying to get Von Miller? The Rams had Von Miller. Uh, Seattle, we mentioned Avril and Bennett. Kansas City tried to get Clark, Frank Clark. Uh, there's been a there, there's a certain point to do that. That sort of fits in with a thing that Nate was talking about. Know who you are, when to do it, but. Uh, is there any theme with how they got their pass rush, right? Are, is there a lot of acquiring it as opposed to acquiring a veteran as opposed to, if you just think of teams historically, yeah. shoot, Charles Haley was back going back and forth. Uh, are you sort of hiring the mercenary guy? Is that every team? Is yeah, that, that's a good one. That's, it's just kind of something with the that was there with like. some of these teams. The Niners oh. traded for D Ford. It, he didn't yeah. end up becoming a really important yeah, piece of that got line, rid of line Buckner, compared to well, the other well, ones. But. Well, getting Nick Bosa. Yeah, really, that's exactly really, right. They really they had, helped. Yeah. They got Nick Bosa and they had Armstead and Buckner. So it eventually, the yeah. Rams the Rams invested yeah. all those first rounders on D line. Remember, and they had a yep. string yeah. of them. Yeah. So. What got me thinking about that, Robert, was so you mentioned left tackle. We had talked about quarterback before, and so just to sort of circle this all together in the end. Yeah. When we think of what are the most important positions, right? The ones that if you if you could pick five positions, we yep. would all have the same ones probably of things that we think are important. And then it go as you think about it, how do you get those? Right? You have to sort of get them, but maybe you get them in different ways. Yeah. Uh, but it's, there could be themes in how you end up getting them and when you need well, them in your development. I mean, the the left tackle one because we we've talked about this, Robert. It's usually you have to spend a top lottery pick on it, like to find your guy to find your left tackle. But this also ties into your outlier thing, with, like what with Bean mentioned stuff. Arms like a guy like Teron Armstead, like he was an outlier, small school guy. It's hard to find that spot, and usually, to get a quarterback, you have to take one early or have enough assets to get go get one. You know, like the Rams did last year, what the Broncos are hoping to do, um, yada yada yada. That's going to be a theme, I think, for every offseason for the next foreseeable future. But same with left tackle. I think it's either you have to invest early on one. Hope yeah. that a guy is disgruntled with his franchise like Trent Williams was and held, holds out for a year and they get one or you have to find some outlier, which is very, very hard to do. So, yeah, it's it's kind of funny that you have to nail those picks, those spots, really, if you want to take those leap forwards uh, on offense and as a team. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I have a couple that are spending related. Okay, I think that a consistent theme recently has been at some point, you're probably going to have to take it on the chin. If you're truly rebuilding, there's going to be that year where oh, you yeah. have to take it on the chin. There's going to be 30, 40, 50 million dollars in dead money. And you have to understand that it's better just to endure that year and then get on the other side of it than trying to kick the can down the road consistently. The yep. Bills, they bit the bullet. In 2018, they had that 55, I think, $60 million in dead money. And then they, you get on the other side of it. They were near the bottom of the league in cash spending over those first couple of years as they figured out that. And I think a lot of teams right now that are rebuilding are following that model. The Bears are near the top of the league in dead money right now. The Falcons are near the top of the league in dead money right now. The Giants are probably going to do it over two years. 
Like next year is going to be their shit. This is painful, <laughs> but we have to do it year. Yeah. And enduring that, I think, is an important step of this. Just understanding well, you have to do it. You have to rip the bandaid off at some point, And I know it's going to suck, but it yeah. can help us. And I do think a lot of teams are going to follow the Bills model of how they did this because it worked out so well. And I think all of those teams are doing that right now. So I think that's important. And then the other thing that I really noticed, and it works on a couple different levels. I was listening to Brandon Bean on Thomas Dimitrov's podcast this week, and he was saying that during his initial conversation with the Pagulas, he said, I wanted to ask them about resources and just how we would be able to spend resources. And the thing he mentioned was the new practice facility in Buffalo. I I don't know, Mike, if you've been up there. It's beautiful. I mean, their facilities are incredible. And players have talked about that openly. And I think leveling the playing field with what your facilities are like, how seriously you take that kind of stuff. Because if you're, we talk about signing these mid-tier free agents, you got to be a place people want to go. Yeah. You, if you know, if you're really rebuilding, if you're tearing it down, and you don't have other things to sell people, I think that that's a, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue to coax guys to your spot. So having those sorts of facilities and having a team that's willing to spend some money in that way is important. And also willing to spend on players. You know, the Rams that second year in 2018, they had, they spent 126% of the cap in cash, which was the second highest mark in the league. You know, number one was the Chicago Bears spent 130%. That was the Khalil Mack year. That was the Allen Robinson contract. I mean, they signed all those deals that year. But the Rams spent a ton of money that year. That was the year where they went out and got a keep to leave. And they made all those trades. And they were willing to sign all those veterans. They threw some money around that year. Over the last five seasons, okay, these numbers are from over the cap, which I would really appreciate them sending me these. Over the last five years, you know what team has spent the most cash in the NFL, even though they started this five-year span rebuilding? Jaguars. San Francisco 49ers. (laughs) Okay. The Niners Niners have spent, and this just isn't a one-year blip. The second year and the third year with Shanahan, they spent 115% of the cap in cash. And then they went up to 120 the last two years. It's for a lot of different reasons. This is just one throwaway point. They spent almost $50 million in cash on quarterbacks last year. Mike, how many owners would let a team do that? You keep Jimmy on the roster and you give Lance his bonus and you're spending 50 in cash on a quarterback. The Colts owner did it. Now he's filming videos outside the team playing (laughs) random. So, yeah, you better be careful. Now, I don't think that many people would allow you to do that. And I think no. the Niners have gotten flexibility as a result of that. The yeah. way they did it with Jimmy that year, where they paid him $41 million in cash in the first year of that deal, the only player to make more cash that season in the NFL was Aaron Rodgers. And that gave them some flexibility down the road. So having an yep. owner that's willing to spend out of problems, I think, is an underrated aspect of this. Because yeah. I, one of the reasons I bring this up is because I don't think about it enough. I don't think about the practicalities of this enough when we're talking about how teams actually operate and the advantages and disadvantages it creates for them. And so as I I tried to find an ownership theme through it, and I think the theme is this. You just can't have shitty ownership. It can't be terrible. (laughs) That's that's important. It can't be terrible. Like like there's different varying degrees of benign, you know, or great. Uh, They're all different, but – I don't know how many good rebuilds you see where you're really overcoming really bad ownership. Yeah. I mean, it's because you have to week in, week out, explain patience to people that a lot of them are bottom line types. (laughs) So it's, but so when you get the ones that do, it's like, if you're willing to have a presentation going, Hey, this is what we're doing. 
This is what our plan is. This is what our philosophy is. And this goes into maybe having a head coach with a, a good plan for everything or GM and or GM. Trust me. I, I've, I've been through, not I, my dad has been through a, a team with an owner that didn't really spend in Red McCombs. So I kind of know the, the bottom of this. Um, but so I've been, I've looked at envy sometimes when you see these owners spending, you know, spending yeah. out the cahoots to build up their team. I, I, I think just to tie in both points is when I got with the Raiders uh, in 2016, the year before when Del Rio got there, they redid their practice facility. They got themselves a, they redid their weight room. Their weight room used to be like the side of the medical tent or the medical facility, uh, which was like the size of my office right now. That was their NFL level weight room. And then they just beautiful one. And then they move out of it like two years later, which is kind of funny. But that got them some free agents. That got them the Rodney Hudson's of the world, the Cleccio Semeles, some other guys, uh, Bruce Irvin, um, guys like that, that are, they're looking at that stuff. I mean, always going to come down to money. But then the next question is usually, all right, who's the quarterback? All right, and if it's a good quarterback and we're deciding between two teams, then it's going to go, all right, what does the team franchise facilities look like? How's the owner? I mean, that's what it's a tie and, and the culture, right? The culture, all these things all are tying together. Tied yeah. together. Yeah. And that's what guys look at. So it does, does matter. That helps your rebuild. If you have a good culture, players talk, it's going to only, it's just going to, you know, build on itself. It's just going to go up exponentially if you do the right things. And the, you know, the Dolphins are trying this. And I think the Dolphins did, they threaded a needle. And what they did, because I think Brian Flores got that team to play hard as shit. Yeah, we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick as yeah. it, the el- the impact that he had on this. But I think tearing it all the way down, all the way down, is really really hard to do. It is. It's really really hard to do. And a lot of these teams never did that. They never tore it all the way down, and they, they, it was really bad. And then they kept trying to. They really quickly tried to build it back up. Or in the case of the Bills, they're doing a little bit of both. You know, the idea that in year one, we're going to bring in a Micah Hyde and a Jordan Poyer and a couple of these guys, and then we're going to take it on the chin with that one year of dead money. But it's never all or nothing. And I think it's so tempting as we're looking at these teams near the bottom or that are middling and really wanting them to do something drastic to correct course. Or like you mentioned, just have a plan. Just show me what your plan is. I want to feel the plan. That can be difficult because it's not – not every move is going to fall into one bucket. Not every move is going to be a rebuilding move. It's There's going to be a little bit of both all yep. of the time and trying to decipher, well, this is kind of a win-now move. Why would you do this if you're rebuilding? And it's kind of what the Vikings are going through. And I don't agree with everything that they've done, and I think that they've made their degree of difficulty a little bit higher with some of the moves they've made and some of the restructures that they've done. But I feel like we don't have that many success stories of teams that are just like, we're just going to be terrible. We're going to be terrible. We're going to accumulate all of these assets, and that's how we're going to do it. That just doesn't work that often. So I just I feel like we can give a little bit more grace to teams that are navigating this space because not every move is going to fall into the bucket we want it to. That's this rebuilding in big flashing light sort of move. No, I, I oh, when McVeigh took over the Rams, they signed Whitworth and all those guys. Yep. I remember people going, like, why? Like, yep. why would you do yep. that? You're nowhere near close to competing, but he understood his situation and – you're always trying to win. These always. guys are always trying to win. That's part always. of your DNA. It's part of your culture. You don't have it in you to say we're not trying, you know? Yeah. And you can't say to players, hey, your tape is your resume. And then at the same time go, but don't try too hard. As the guy <laughs> as the guy might get cut and never get another chance again to sign with a team. Yeah. So it's really hard to go, 
you know, hey, hey, oh, we'll play this, you know, fifth string guy because we're at wink, wink. We're really competing, but that guy's going to compete his ass off. Yeah, you know, and, that's what they're going to do. And look at the four teams I named Buffalo, Rams, Seattle, Kansas City. They're not they didn't get their quarterback number one overall. Nope. Nope. They didn't even get him in the first round for Seattle. They got him outside the top 10 outlier right around the top 10 for Mahomes. Yep. Stafford, they just got him when he was available. I mean, yep. which is hard to repeat, but they did it. And Buffalo got him, but he was he was where he was. And then the quarterbacks they got ultimately, you could put Wilson in a different category. They had traits. Yep. Yeah. The the ones I'm talking about. They, you know what I mean? Now Russell yeah. did too, but he he just was short shorter. But mm-hmm. but uh that's an interesting component of it too. Uh we could table this conversation. There, there might be something on the schedule a little bit later this summer about when we find quarterbacks and when we should be yeah. trying to find them as part of this conversation. So, spoiler alert, but that, that may be coming down the road because I think that's a very important part of this entire thing. And the last thing I wanted to mention, there weren't that many options. If you look back over the last 10 years, it's not like there were 15 teams that we could choose from because a lot of the teams that are good in the NFL right now were never bad. Yeah, They were never bad. They had moments and their ebbs and flows and little dips. You know, the Saints had that seven and nine stretch. But these are teams, a lot of them, that have stayed good. Mm-hmm. The Ravens, the Packers, the Saints, the, the Patriots. These are teams that have stayed good. And I think there's a lesson to be learned in that. And that you don't have to tear it down to get back up. You can kind of navigate those fallow periods in ways that make sense for you in the moment and then get back to the top. And I, that's something that I... You know, we know implicitly, but looking at how few examples there are of teams that got really bad and then got really good, I think is an important part of this too. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, we we want to trust the process, but sometimes the process is. I like the process of just you're continuing to win, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to bottling out. I mean, the process uh, of not getting fired. Yeah, I'm not yes. getting fired. <laughs> Longevity long is a good thing. I know. I mean, that's a great. It's it's a good point because I mean, the Browns openly. I mean. More or less, I, I we're we're getting rumors of the owner paying for losses. We're trying to lose and lose and lose, and they've only had one playoff uh, appearance, and they're on their third head coach. I mean, basically since they stated that they're doing that, maybe in fourth, if you want if you want to include yeah. others, and yeah. they're on different GMs now. Like it's just it's and really the only good year they had the one playoff appearance where their expected win loss was eight and eight. You know, it's it's hard to get bad and it's hard to get back to, to good. So it's better just to find ways to compete or be competent. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the Browns are probably a team we could have talked about more in, in, with this, but there That's was no there was no like clear path to rebuilding. You know, we're there like were all these different three. regimes and different <laughs> yeah. coaches, and it eventually happened. You know, yeah. but it's I don't they it was hard to throw them in in with the other yeah. teams just because it's a little bit weirder how they got yeah. to this point. Imagine yeah. calling their thing a five year plan. We I don't even know what happened in the last five years there. I, I, I you know I shoot. I'd have to look it up. Freddie Kitchens came in with that plan, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. Their plan was to try to lose the police that were chasing them, and they did. I, I don't know where they are. All right. That's all we got. Guys, thank you very, very much for doing this, and thank you guys for listening. That was a blast. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'd really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show, where you can read both of these wonderful gentlemen. If you do not have a subscription, I highly encourage you to go do that we'll be back tomorrow with me nate and Lindsay. we're gonna talk about some gms we did we did non-quarterback rankings we did quarterback rankings and drafts we're gonna we did coaches last year we're gonna do gms this week we're gonna talk about which gms we would want to 
I kind of, I don't know. We were starting a team. We were rebuilding a team. <laughs> that ties into this. Making it a little bit more specific. Yeah, they're connected in some way. There may be yeah. little, some, some may say a little bit too much overlap, but uh, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> Spiritual successor. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> we will be back tomorrow. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.